It's the Eleven Dubcast. Yeah. I'm Johnny Ginner. I'm Michael Citro. Yay, we're we're recovering from illnesses, yeah. but that's okay. Uh, we're we're getting better. We're feeling a little better. I'm feeling a little better. You might be feeling worse. I actually don't know. Uh, <laughs> uh, yeah, sat- Saturday night it, it came on again. Uh, the weather changed yeah. and then it changed back again. So it's like we have these massive 50 degree swings in the temperature and and it just kills me. I don't know why, but. Uh, so yeah, my voice sounds great as it usually does, and uh, uh, just trying to get through it. And uh, you know, I I think um, that's a good analogy. That's a good analogy for the Ohio State men's basketball yeah, season. Yeah, just trying to get through it. <laughs> just trying to get through it. Just trying to survive, baby. The Dubcast is um, good for what ails you, though. Well, okay. So since we last talked, Ohio State men's basketball, I, I believe when, when when was the game against Purdue? Uh, I think I think it was I think Purdue and Penn State have been since the last uh, game. Well, I know Penn State definitely has, yeah. but the point is is that we've had an up, we've had a down. Yeah. Um, the the down was pretty bad because Purdue was a game that they definitely should have you know won because of of how they were playing towards the end, and and then they just kind of blew it. Um, and then Penn State, I think a lot of people would say maybe they the the basketball team didn't live up quite to the you know energy level that I think that that model wants to see out of the team. I mean, it was a win, right? Yeah. But it, Penn State is got a lot of issues. Um, I don't know. It, it was interesting to watch because you do want to see the guys who will step up and create, you know, consistent points and, and just chances, I guess. But I, I didn't really see a very uh, enthusiastic team, I guess, against Penn State. Well, what I, I think – it was interesting to me that Thad decided to send some messages and change the lineup up a little bit. I like that. Yeah, I, I think, and I that. I think in some ways Ohio State actually played better against Purdue but got a worse result than they did against Penn State. Um, it's yeah, until no, about the, the last until the last ten minutes of the Purdue game, they really played. I thought pretty well. They played hard. They hustled. They were really doing a, a good job against Penn State. They really should have had about a 30 point lead at some point because they just, <laughs> they kept doing stupid things like, you know, Oh, I'm over here by myself. No one is even on my half of the court. And Oh, I dribbled out of bounds. Um, right. or I threw the ball where I thought this guy was going to go. And he obviously wasn't on the same page and it just sailed out of bounds and just stupid turnovers, some bad shot selection. Um, and just kept Penn State around for a while when they, they really should have blown them out. But it was at least a win, and, um, you know, it's something that maybe they can build off of. Well, I mean, and you had two really good performances, right? Kata beats Bates, Diop, yes. you know, got 22. Um, he shot well, rebounded well, four blocks. I mean, he was great from outside the arc. I, that's the kind of game you want to see out of that dude. I mean, that's – that inside outside game is is crazy to me. I mean, that's not something you see a lot of, honestly. So I think he played well. Um, I thought Jason Tate played really well. Yeah. Um, you know that. I mean, honestly, he played. He didn't play perfectly because I don't think he was maybe as active as as you would like. But in general, I think he was extremely uh, clean on the stat sheet. One guy that I think played really poorly was Mark Loving. I think he just. He he was off all night, made a lot of poor shots, had a lot of poor shot selection, um, a lot of turnovers, which you just can't have. Uh, it was it was interesting. It was it was just really interesting in a lot of ways. And um, again, I don't 
think the energy level was there, but it's one of those games where you look at it and you're like, all right, well, it was a victory. There were some clear, good performances. Maybe they can build off that. And I do agree with you that I think overall they played better against Purdue, but I, I think that's – it's a commentary on a young team that they will get up for games that they think maybe they're capable of beating or maybe that they think is equal to their task, whereas they kind of play down to their uh, – opposition against teams that aren't so great. Yeah. So they've got a game coming up against uh, Illinois here in a couple of days, which, you know, they're Illinois 10 and 10, not a great team. Um, they've got one, you know, pretty decent player, uh, but it's, it's, I want to see consistency, right? And and they've got after, right after Illinois, they got to play Maryland again. Ugh. So for me, right. So that's what I'm saying. Like you would hope in that rematch, they would play considerably better. I think the game against Illinois will determine whether they will or not. Because if they come out against Illinois the way they came out against Penn State, I'm going to look at Maryland and go, they're getting blown out, yeah. right? Even if they win that game by 20, doesn't matter. Unless they come out with energy and with a desire to fix the things that they really need to work on. I'm not like ecstatic about their their progress yeah. this far. I, I would just like to see them take a little bit better care of the basketball. They know turnovers are a problem. It's been yeah, talked turnovers about. are bad. It's been talked about all year and and one guy we didn't talk about I wrote this glowing story about Cam Williams and he had his worst game in like a month and a half. <laughs> right. Um, yeah. he he really struggled um, forced some shots that wasn't wasn't doing well defensively, getting taken fouls and th- things like that. So uh but yeah, I'd like to see them just slow down, play within themselves because a lot of the turnovers they make are just dumb turnovers. Um, right. I don't know how many times they've gotten a rebound and then the guy ends up leaning towards the out of bounds and somehow can't save it. Just like steps <laughs> on the line or, you know, yeah. tries to throw it off the guy and the guy just catches it and dunks it or whatever, you know, it's uh, I've, I've never seen, I said the other night that I've never seen a team with, with as buttery of hands as this, this team sometimes has it's 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 un- well un- it's just unreal to see how they just just dribbling up the court the ball just takes the right turn and goes out of bounds sometimes yeah no it's it's weird because you would think that maybe at this point they're they're a little settled into the season maybe not making such boneheaded plays or, or dumb like body yeah you know control plays but you know I, I think maybe this has just been the mo of the team all season they've got 10 big 10 games left they're at 13 and 8. So, you know, you want them to hit 7 out of those 10 because you really want to get to 20 wins just so that Mata keep that streak alive. But more than that, and and I got to tell you something, I see I see more than <laughs> see way more, not way more, but I see more than 3 losses in those 10. If they can um, get it close, then maybe they get a win in the Big 10 tournament, you know. I mean, yeah, no, close, I agree. Yeah. I mean, look, the the issue with the, if you want to talk about getting to twenty, the issue is they have to play against Maryland, which is going to be rough uh, again. And then their last three games are Michigan State, Iowa, Michigan State. Yeah. So, <laughs> and, and Michigan's a good team too. So Michigan's going to be a hard team. To yeah, Michigan's good. I mean, that's that that is a rough go of it uh, in the back end of the schedule, which I guess you would want with a young team, right? Like, okay, let's let's get the opportunity to kind of get some things together, but. On the other hand, if you've got Thad Mata still shuffling his lineup this far into the season, you're kind of maybe not psyched about that. I don't know. I just kind of I kind of like that he did it. I mean, it's like one of those things. Oh where... no, no, he had to do it. I'm not I'm not denying that at all. It, I mean, it, the the current the lineup as it was was not working. I've never been a guy in college basketball who I thought, unless you had a team like you know, uh, Diebler and Lighty's senior year, where you know these are the guys. I've never right. necessarily 
thought you should just have these five guys should start every game. I think I always thought that you know. Well, it depends how much trust you have in your bench. I mean, true. It, it, and, and I I do think part of the reason why Thad has played with such a short bench is because that's in a lot of cases the only thing that he could have done. You know what I mean? Like. Yes. I feel like a lot of times there weren't a lot of guys that he could have just plugged in and say, all right, we're going to keep this thing rolling because the the five or six or seven that he had on rotation were, were it. You're saying we're not Kentucky. No, no. <laughs> and, and, and really, I think that's by design. I yeah. think Thad Mata likes to have a core group of guys that he can just, you know, help develop and, and, and really like work well with. And that, and that's worked. I mean, yeah, guys like, uh, you know, Jared Solinger and Evan Turner and a lot of these other dudes have had to play massive amounts of minutes. Um, but for the most part, they've been able to sustain that over the course of a season. I just think you don't really have anybody like that on the team right now. And that's why he's going so deep into the bench. And, and I honestly think like, if you're talking about in terms of like a spectrum of talent, these guys, I don't see anybody who's far and away like this transcendent talent where you just need to have these two or three guys on the floor at all times on this team. Yeah. So, and I think that can make a team more difficult to play in some ways because you never know, yeah. you know, what, what they're going to do it. But, you know, getting back to my point about the, the starting five is I've always thought that if you have six or seven guys that can play, then there's some nights when you might want to go small. There's some nights when you want, might want more size and, and go, you know, right. go with a bigger front court. And, you know, there's there's enough variety, I think, on this team that, you know, you can – it warrants certain, you know, changes from game to game, you know, for certain opponents. Like, one thing I think is, is that A.J. Harris brings a lot of, of energy to the game. Mm-hmm. And I think if, if you're playing against a team that maybe doesn't have as quick a guards, if you put him out there, I think you got a huge advantage. So I've been waiting sort of for him to, to maybe start a few games here and there because of that. But it sort of was just the, the Lyle show until, you know – <laughs> oh right, and that's and that clearly hasn't been good for this team's development. Yeah. So I mean, Daniel Giddens, right? Like he he was out. Like I think he only had like I don't know four or five points, something like that, against Penn State. But he also had nine rebounds. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? Yeah. And like that's what you want to see. You want to see guys who maybe not be they're not dominating in all facets of the game, but they're contributing on a consistent basis. And you would hope that Mark Loving would have taken kind of a lot of that burden off the shoulders of guys like, you know, Lyle and, and even Tate, but that hasn't happened. So I think I agree with you. I mean, I'm still a little wary to say like, we're going to pick some dudes and roll with them. But on the other hand, like, I don't know what works best for this team. Cause it feels like they're so schizophrenic in terms of their mentality. You know what I mean? Yeah. In their approach. That's what bothers me the most. I think where you have one game where they're just like playing their butts off, Next game, they're like, God, I'm so tired from the last game. I just want to take a nap. Yeah. Sleep through Penn State. And I'm like, you can't do that. You cannot do that. Yeah, I think it's kind of like opening one of those. It's kind of like opening one of those, uh, you know, big Valentine boxes of candy where you're like, what am I going to get this time? You know, <laughs> it's kind of what right. it, it makes them a little bit. So you're, you're doing the, you're pulling out the Forrest Gump analogy. Yeah, a little bit. It's a little fun to, well, because, you know, Valentine's is coming up too. Um, I just, I just think it's a little of what makes this team fun is that you just never know what the heck to expect. And sometimes they make such boneheaded plays that I actually laugh. I don't even get mad. I laugh and shake my head because it's like, you know, let's get it out of the system now because you guys are going to be a veteran group here, you know, in a year or two. And and hopefully this won't be happening anymore. But, you know, my, my expectation 
another year will be different than it is this year, and, and I don't have high expectations. So I'm just I'm just kind of enjoying the ride and just seeing what they what are we going to get this game, you know? Well, that's fair. That's fair. Um, all right, so let's move on. We get another quick topic that I want to touch on, and then we can move on to ask us anything. Okay. But the I do want to talk about Harbaugh and what's been going on with that school up north and recruiting. Um, there has been some you know defections. For Michigan, there has been some grumbling about like the potential oversigning that Harbaugh is doing, and there's been some uh, shade thrown on Twitter a little bit about how people have been defending said uh, oversigning. So I, I want to get your perspective, Michael Citro. How do you how do you feel about what's going on with recruiting in that state of North? Well, Johnny, I just want to say that you know after a lot of conversations with my family and a lot of prayer. <laughs> Um, I've opened up my uh, my commitment. I've decommitted from Eleven Warriors. <laughs> oh, okay. <laughs> no, um, there's been a lot of that uh, going on. I mean, it seems like two a day almost uh, lately. It's like, okay, who else is decommitting from Michigan? And yeah. it's pretty obvious that you know Jim Harbaugh is is playing a little game, and maybe the recruits should be wise to it. Maybe they shouldn't be wise to it. It all depends on how he's framing it because I have no idea what he's saying to them, obviously, but sure. It's, it's just very, if it's not over signing, it's over signing adjacent. And um, it, it is leaving a bad taste in people's mouths. And, and it's a little bit different when the shoe is on the other foot. I mean, it's easy to point to the sec and, and just have that holier than thou. Oh, at least we don't oversign. Um, and then when you do, there's that, you know, cognitive dissonance about, uh, oh, oh, my God, you know, are we – we can't possibly be doing that. We're Michigan <laughs> men, you know. Right. We have met the enemy, and he is us. Yeah, so, I mean, it's it's gotten almost comical of how many it is, but it's – you know, if it doesn't seem to be hurting their recruiting any. Well, see, and, and this is what I would say. I don't know that it will or it won't. I, I think maybe the long-term effects – will be that the sheen will, will rub off a little bit on Harbaugh. But with that said, winning fixes all of that. So if he comes sure. out in the next season and he wins 11 or 12 games, no one's going to care. But my general point about all of this is that um, I think where coaches are in a bind is that some players absolutely, some high school players absolutely understand how this the game is played, mm -hmm. right? Yeah. Like, they totally get it. They love playing the game. Like, I want to take as many visits as I want. I'm committed, but I'm committed to, like, three schools right now. I don't really know. <laughs> like, and I think some kids genuinely enjoy that. Yeah. And, and they go through the process, and it's, you know, they understand that it's part of it now, and that's something that they accept and, and learn how to play, okay, a little bit. On the other hand, I think there's a lot of kids who don't. I think there's a lot of kids who hate being jerked around like this and who don't want to be wine and dined at every different school. They just want to make a connection with a coach and be done with it. Mm -hmm. And the problem is is you have coaches that are conditioned to want to do it the like the former way, right? They want to do it, and by former I mean like the first thing that I mentioned there where you know, players are just constantly being bombarded with text messages and you act weird and you send like all kinds of crazy photoshops to their Twitter account talking about how great they are. Yeah. Like I think coaches are conditioned to think that is the way to go now. And the kids that aren't conditioned that way, the kids that don't enjoy that are being kind of pushed to the side because they don't have the same expectations for the recruiting game that other kids do. And as a result, they're getting burned without even knowing it. Yeah. If that makes sense, because they don't play the game. And that that's what I see. But my observations are like, 
you know, Jim Harbaugh is, is trying to create excitement around Michigan. He's acting weird. He's acting crazy, blah, blah, blah. But there's a lot of kids who just want to commit to Michigan and they don't want to commit to the recruiting process. And I think that's where you're seeing this disconnect. So I don't think this is going to hurt Michigan long term, mm-hmm. but it is something they're going to have to learn how to adjust to and, and really just pay closer attention to who they're talking to and who they're recruiting. Yeah, and I would have, you know, quite honestly, have no problem with a new coach coming in saying, these kids were committed before I got here. I'm not sure I want them or if they fit properly. So I have to make sure that this these kids know that. Yeah. And, you know, maybe the thing is to come in and say, you know, I'm evaluating this, so don't think you have a committable offer right now. And, <laughs> right. And, and But, you know, nobody wants to lose that kid to somebody else while they do that. So it, it kind of screws up the process. But, you know, the guys I feel bad for is like the, the kid who grew up, you know, wanting nothing more than playing for Michigan. He committed like two years ago, and now he can't get Harbaugh on the phone to, to talk to him about it. Right. You know, the, when you hear stories like that. and Right. The kid who committed in 2013 yeah. is now like, sorry, kid. You just, man, man, we found somebody better. Like that, and that is, and that's, I don't want to say garbage, but it sucks for that kid. I mean, that's that's awful because you thought that you were set to your dream school, and now you're not. Yeah. And it's, I really do believe that, and Berm had a you know an article about this on on our website uh, earlier today, where he talked about some of the changes that he would make in college football recruiting. And one of those I think was you know he was talking about um, he was talking about like the actual offer, right? Mm-hmm. Where you're putting something in writing and telling a kid, yes, we are offering you to this college. I think that absolutely has to happen. I think you absolutely have to have some kind of, instead of these wink, wink, nudge, nudge, like it's a committable offer yeah. versus it's an actual offer. Make it a contract. A serious <laughs> offer. Just, yeah, put your name on it and say, if you're offering me, this is the offer, okay? Like almost like you're putting down a sheet for somebody uh, to hire them, right? Like if you really want me to come to this place, Put it in writing. Yeah. Like, let me know. Because otherwise, I'm going to assume that it's BS. And it sucks that a player has to assume that now, but that's really how the recruiting game works. You have to, you know, work up to these various degrees of, you know, I guess attraction to a recruit. And the problem is is that a lot of these sound the same. And so if I'm a recruit, I wouldn't consider an offer ironclad until I got a piece of paper, which no one ever provides. So mm-hmm. I would say... Make that standard. Yeah, and then uh, the, when it's nothing's done until the letter of intent sign it, is signed. Right, signature. exactly. Exactly. Uh, it, it's it is a rough thing. You know, there's so much pressure on the coaches to win and do the best they can. There's so much pressure uh, on them just to get you know highly ranked recruiting classes because if they don't at least do that, then they have no excuse for you know they they have nothing they can hang their hat on. It's like. Right. It's like James, right. if James Franklin wasn't recruiting well right now, he wouldn't have a job. No, no. I mean, you're absolutely, and you're absolutely right about that. I mean, especially with the way he handled Christian Ackenberg, um, you know, his overall results on the field. I mean, you're right. When they look at those recruiting classes, that is a way that they can, you know, stay in the position that they're at without getting fired, and that's what makes it even more high stakes, and I think even more stressful for a kid who doesn't want to play the recruiting game, because then you've got a coach who's like, oh god, we got to get this X, Y, and Z kid, and you know, this kid will make my recruiting rankings look slightly better, whereas if this kid, you know, maybe he's a good kid, but he's going to pull it down a half a star. Like, no one, you know, and, and again, 
this is not something people were considering 10, 15 years ago yeah. in college sports, but now they have to. And I just, I feel bad for people who don't want to play the game. Cause if I were in that position, I just want to commit and be done with it. I'd be like, all right, that's the school I'm going to. And I wouldn't want to deal with any of that extra crap, but you have to now to an extent. Yeah, you do. And it's, it's terrible. I mean, you know, I, and I always was the guy who liked the Ohio kid who grew up loving Ohio state. You know, he's sure, you know, he's going to play his tail off for Ohio state. Um, right. But then you go out and you get a better athlete from like Georgia or Virginia, and you, you know, maybe they don't, maybe they're great players, maybe they don't, but they yeah. don't have that that connection, you know. And it's, it's and does that matter though? I mean, because let me put it this way: like, you know, you want to win a national championship with this kid who kind of likes Ohio State, or do you want to win like the Peach Bowl <laughs> or the Alamo Bowl with a kid who really loves Ohio well, State? So, you know that's, I mean? my, my opinion though is like a four star versus a five star. I don't know how much difference there is if the four-star plays harder. You know what I mean? Well, sure. Right. So, I mean, it, but these coaches talk to the, the high school coaches. They talk to the counselors. They talk to the kids. They know what their personality is like. So they they at least have a very good idea. Look, Urban Meyer signs a kid from, you know, California. He knows everything there is to know about that kid. Right. Um, but there are other coaches that will take the higher-star kid with that maybe aren't quite as adept at, you know, psychologically getting to know the kid and getting to know what makes him tick. Right. And and that and that of itself is a huge issue. I mean, we talk about, you know, some people just getting offered sight unseen cuz like, well, that'll make my, you know, that's bumping up our recruiting class, it'll bump up our attention. It's 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 weird. I mean, it, it is weird for a lot of reasons, but it's just a different environment that I think a lot of people maybe expect. And I was talking to a guy actually uh, a couple of weeks ago about the recruiting game. And this is a dude who's my age, so you know I'm almost I'm almost 31, and he was around my age, and he remembers like following high school recruits and stuff when he was around in high school. But that was before Twitter, that was before Snapchat, that was before Instagram, that was before Kick, that was before Yik Yak, that was before literally every social media thing, and it's it's just such a hugely different beast now. And that's why I have so much respect for guys like Berm because to even kind of keep track of any of this stuff is just unbelievable to me. So, um, yeah, I just, I think it's nuts. But I also think that it's maybe a bit naive to say, like, oh, well, Jim Harbaugh's maybe just getting lost in the weeds or something like that. You know, he's not doing his due diligence. That may be true, but it's also advantageous for him to do what he's doing. It's not like, you know, he's accidentally telling people, like, oh, you got a, you got an offer. No, you don't really. I mean, this is all part of a a concerted plan to, to get the best. I mean, he's not new to this. He did this at at Stanford. This is nothing new. Right. Yeah. So I, you know, I, it's going to be interesting to see how it plays out, especially on signing day, especially on signing day. Uh, but really the proof is in the pudding. And if, like I said earlier, if he wins, then this all goes away. That conversation is completely moot. Mm -hmm. So we'll see. We'll see what happens. Uh, I, you know, I, I don't necessarily want him to crash and burn yet, (laughs) <laughs> but we'll see. We'll see what happens. I guess that's what I got to say. All right. So let's do ask us anything. We have a couple of ways that you guys can ask us anything. Michael, mm-hmm. can you fill our dear listeners into uh, those methods? Yeah. If you're like a child of the internet age, you could like, you know, get us on the Twitters. Yeah. yeah getting us on the Twitters is good. And, and there's, there's definitely, uh, uh, it's something to be said for getting us on the Twitters because then everybody kind of can see, if they're following you, everybody can see what you're asking. Our massively popular <laughs> yeah. at 11 Dubcast. At 11 Dubcast is the Twitter. Um, 
It's the it's all spelled out E L E V E N D E B C A S T. And then you can get us on email, which is like what your grandma would send us a uh, you know question in yes. on. And if you want to forward us <laughs> pictures of cats or like ten reasons why people born in April are the coolest people in the world or something, go ahead and do that. Or just ask this question. Yeah, dubcast at eleven warriors dot com and again spell out eleven. You'll never believe why people write to Johnny and Michael. You'll be astonished at what happens next. Yeah. <laughs> question three will make you mad. Um, all right. So first question is from Patrick Kelly. Lots of talk of all the Buckeyes playing in the Super Bowl, which, by the way, there are a lot of Buckeyes playing in the Super Bowl. We will definitely be talking hundreds, about that. Hundreds, hundreds. Yeah, literally hundreds. Uh, but I haven't seen any shout-outs for Fred, uh, Fred Puggett. Pug- what am I saying? Puggett. Fred Puggett. Oh, my God. I, why can I not say Fred Puggett? Because it's spelled like Pagic. Yeah, I know, but I've heard it a thousand times. Yes. I know how to pronounce Mr. Puggett's name. Uh, I just can't talk right now. <laughs> uh, linebacker coach at Denver. He played for Woody, coached for Earl and Cooper, coordinated the great defenses of the 90s, mm-hmm. and was once considered a candidate for the top job. That is true. And uh, you know what? I, it's interesting because I think if you had asked me, if honestly my Ohio State fandom was not, super advanced uh, in the late 90s. But if you had asked a well-informed Johnny Ginter uh, who you would like for the next coach, I might have picked uh, Fred there because I think I think he's an excellent coach. Uh, there's not a bigger Buckeye on the field or on the sideline. I think that's an excellent point, Patrick. Uh, on an unrelated note, other than avoiding cardiac arrest while shoveling Snowzilla, what are your favorite snowstorm activities? Uh, Michael, what are your favorite snowstorm activities in Orlando, Florida? Stay inside and drink. <laughs> Uh, I feel like that is necessarily exclusive to snowstorms. That's also um, my favorite thing to do uh, for hurricanes okay. or tropical storms or right. just when it's hot out or, um, you know, basically, you know, maybe there's a slight chill in the air. Uh, mm-hmm. Maybe it's, So just at all times yeah, is what you're saying. Stay inside and drink and, you know. A lot of mosquitoes out yeah. when there's alligators <laughs> everywhere. Uh, but when I lived in the, the snow belt, I uh, – yeah. I definitely enjoyed, you know, going, taking the old uh, tube up the hill and uh, doing some snow, some snow tubing. Yeah, I'm a big, I'm a big sledding guy. I freaking love sledding. I like making, I, do, I like doing all the stuff. I, you know, like I love making, uh, you know, snowmen and making forts and all that and having snowball fights. I just like being outside in the snow and cold. I love it. I, yeah, I, every chance I got when I was a kid, I'd go out there in my snow pants, of which I still own a incredible pair of snow pants. I love my pair of snow pants. I just haven't had the chance to use it as often as I <laughs> would like, but uh, I get out there and I'd stay outside for hours and hours and hours. And I loved it. Uh, I don't, I don't get too, too messed up with a cold. So I can stay out for a pretty long time. I, I just like being out in it. It's, it's awesome. In fact, one of my favorite memories at Ohio state was that uh, near blizzard that uh, we experienced. in I think 2008, the Greg Snowden day. Yeah, that was actually not the Greg no. Snowden day. That was one of that was the year before. Um, Greg Snowden was when we had the day off because it was so cold. Oh, okay. uh, I think it was like negative ten or negative fifteen, and then it was like just ice everywhere. Yeah. And then so my roommate and I, who was uh, he was in the Air Force, we uh, we went out and we made this nine foot tall snowman, which I I talked a little bit about last. Uh, <laughs> Last dubcast. I will try to get that. Yeah, picture. somebody called us out on that for not. I know. I'll get that there. picture into this week. Um, they didn't hear the second part where you said no. Don't put that in. Put put in the Photoshop from. Uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. I'll, I'll definitely put in Greg Snowden this time. Greg Snowden is is really my greatest accomplishment. Um, 
So I just I I just love being on it. It's it's awesome. Uh, so yeah, I you know as long as you're healthy enough and you're not you know going to have a uh, cardiac arrest, I recommend just being outside. It's awesome. All right. So next question that we have here. This is our our second question from uh, Alvin from a, AKA Asian Chipmunk. Uh, to answer your question from last week, I don't I, I didn't actually initiate the snowball fight with my grumpy eighty year old neighbor. <laughs> Uh, that's unfortunate. Well, you should um, have. Yeah. How else are you going to have a snow fight, snowball fight with him? Exactly. Or get, you know, arrested for assault. You know, we didn't go to war with uh, Japan until they bombed Pearl Harbor, so. Right. That's, pull him in. I don't in. know where you're going that. Him, but pull him into the fight. Yeah. That's what I'm saying. Okay. Uh, anyway, uh, this is a question for me. Uh, do any of your students know that you're a writer for Eleven Warriors? Any funny stories? Actually, a lot of students know that I'm a writer for Eleven Warriors. Do not keep that secret. I learned a long time ago that you really just can't avoid... If you're a teacher, your your personal life is, is just fair game. You can't really avoid that in any way, shape, or form. So uh, I have teachers... Uh, all the co-teachers I work with know that I write for Eleven Warriors. Most of my students know I write for Eleven Warriors. A lot of my students actually follow me on Twitter, which is why I try to keep it pretty clean. Um, I don't know if I have any funny stories. I, you know, I talk about it in class, uh, when I'm trying to illustrate a point or I'm just trying to give an example of things. I will say, and this is fine since this kid has since graduated, (laughs) uh, I had, I was teaching class about writing and like just general writing and, um, a student of mine wanted advice about how to, uh, write, just like sports writing. And so what I did is I sent out a little, I made him come up with a little survey and he sent it to some of the other writers at 11 Warriors. And this was like when I first started teaching at my current school. Mm -hmm. Um, And he got responses back from Elika, who was still with us at the time. Uh, I wrote some responses. I forget who else did, but I do remember that DJ sent some responses and those are some of the best uh, pieces of advice for a young writer that I've ever heard my entire life. So uh, if I can find those, I will. I will try to relay those. I, I was. I was very fond of of his responses, so that was pretty great. Um, all right, Michael, you have a question for yourself. Oh, this cool! Is I don't think I've ever yeah, gotten so, one. Yeah, this is this is for you specifically. Uh, Alvin saw saw that you are on a lifelong quest to find the best Reuben sandwich. What is the best Reuben sandwich you've had thus far, and what would be uh, your ideal one? Hmm. Well, that's an excellent question, and I know quite a bit about Reuben sandwiches. I've eaten many of them. Okay. Um, the best one I've had, you know, currently the best, you know, place a place like um, like Jason's Deli makes a pretty good one. Uh, it's a, it's mm-hmm. obvious that's a chain, but the best one I think I've had was this diner in South Florida that actually closed about it, I think in two thousand or two thousand and one. Um, I don't even remember the name of the place. It was like a couple of blocks away from where I live. Reuben and I, <laughs> I stopped there, and it was just you know just a regular old little sandwich shop, and and uh, it was really good. And you know most Reubens I think fall into like if you're going on a one to ten scale with ten being the best thing you've ever eaten, most okay. most of them fall in a six seven category, right? Um, I don't even know, honest honest to God, I I'm not exactly sure what a Reuben is. Really, I don't. I don't know. I don't like. I don't. I can guess. I think it's something like. I think. And correct me if I'm wrong. I think a Reuben is with ham and Thousand Island dressing. Is that correct? Well, you're not too far off. <laughs> okay. What is it? Um, okay. Thousand Island dressing. Yes. Um, 
Okay. Yes. That's why I don't eat Ru- That's why I don't because I don't like Thousand Island. Yeah, it's it's basically it's it's an American creation. Uh, it's a hot sandwich. It's uh, it's usually right. corned beef, Swiss cheese, uh, uh, okay. sauerkraut, and either Russian or Thousand Island dressing. Uh, All right. On grilled. None of those things sound like on, to me, on but... grilled rye bread, and it's if it's done right, it's fantastic. Now, um, okay. so most of the ones I've eaten in my life are usually a six or seven in terms of you know one to ten scale. Every now right. and then you get an eight, and it's really awesome. The the one that I had at the diner in South Florida was a nine. Um, nice. I'm always in search of the perfect one. I don't know what a perfect one would be. I'd have to actually taste it to, to know. Are there are there a lot of like alterations or. I don't know what the word would be, but are, are there a lot of like alternative ingredients yes. or different things that people can yes. do with the Reuben to make it better? Um, not necessarily better, but I mean that's all a matter of taste. Uh, there are turkey Reubens. Sure. Um, you know, some some people substitute turkey. Some people put. Uh, so, do you do anything weird with uh, your Reuben? Do you like add you know, it? I, I like a pastrami corned beef mix on my Reuben if I can get that because I'm a big pastrami fan. But um, there are bad ones though. I mean, if if the if the meat is thick and just gristly and nasty and fat, it's just uh, it can be it can be just a, a horrible experience. Like I've eaten them, I've eaten them at some places and gone the worst. I might you know it makes me like not want to eat a Reuben ever again. Some of these, but that, then you have a sure. good one and you go, wow, that's man, that's really good. Um, so yeah, I, I I'm sorry I don't have a, a better answer for you because the place that I had the best one closed, but. Uh, and it's probably nowhere near where this uh, listener lives. But uh, even if it, even if it was, it wouldn't matter because it's it closed years ago. So uh, no way, man. Alvin's Alvin's like rolling Alvin, down I'm South Florida to, right now. I'm, I gotta get through to recapture the magic, uh, uh, Alvin. And, and when I come up with something, I will I will post it in the show notes. All right. Well, good. You you definitely should do that. Um, so that's all of our Ask Us Anything questions. Please continue to ask us questions about hot sandwiches yes. and, uh, you know, dumb school stories. Cause I Maybe have Cuban sandwiches yeah. next time. Yeah, I, you know what? I've had Cubans. I enjoy that. I enjoy a Cuban yeah. sandwich. That's I, that's tasty. So, yeah, I agree. Like, any any questions about sandwiches, really? Um, Ohio State sports, sure, but sandwiches really is what this podcast is about. So continue to ask us anything, please. Okay, joining us tonight, we are really, really excited to have uh, Eli Apple, quarterback for Ohio State, uh, defensive MVP of the 2016 Fiesta Bowl. Uh, how are you doing tonight, man? I'm doing well. Uh, it's really, I, it's it's really got uh, you know nice and, and great to have you on, mostly because I have a thousand questions for you. <laughs> uh, like I, I can cool. probably make this last an hour, but we're going to try to keep it to ten to fifteen minutes. First thing that I want to ask you, this is the absolute first thing I got to know. Um, I need to know the story directly from the horse's mouth about the best Jim Trestle-related picture I've ever seen. Um, how how did that meeting first happen when you were a kid? What were you thinking? What was going through your mind when you were able to, to meet that guy in person? Uh, it was amazing because, you know, being a young Buckeye fan that I was, uh, I always – uh, you know, like Jim Trussell, he always seemed like a great coach and a great guy from afar. So um, I actually met him at a camp, but I met him like a couple of days before the camp was actually uh, scheduled to start because uh, I was out with my parents and we were like just looking around campus and uh, we were like around the stadium and I guess the stadium was like closed or something. But uh, My mom didn't really care. She was more <laughs> like, you know, somehow I get on field and take pictures before everybody right. else. Uh, you know, got out there for the camp or, or whatever. But um, 
we saw Jim Trestle, and uh, he was just, I guess he was having like a little, I don't know, a little party with a couple other people, and he had like security people, but his security guard was like really old. Uh, it was like an old <laughs> lady, and my mom walked up to her and was like, can I get a picture? And she's like, what are you guys doing here? Like, no, you can't get a picture. Uh, he's just chilling. And then Jim Trestle was like, no, it's okay. You know, it's cool. I'll take a picture. So uh, she kind of just dipped around her, and uh, we ended up getting a picture. With Jim Trussell, it was cool because my mom was like, "Hey, Jim!" Like she was like screaming at him, like, "Hey, can you take a picture?" And he was he was totally cool about it. And then uh, a couple of days later, I see him at the camp, and he was like, "Hey, what's up, Eli? Then I just see you." It was just uh, it was pretty cool that he remembered my name and he remembered that moment taking a picture too. So uh, that's it was definitely legendary. Yeah. So Eli, the uh, you know obviously there's a lot that goes into making the decision to to give up your college eligibility and, and turn pro. I wanted to know if there's anything, you know, obviously the, the thing is you don't want to get hurt and you obviously want to take advantage of when the situation's right for you, but what all goes into making that decision? And, you know, can, can you kind of talk us through how you made that decision? It was just a lot of prayer, a lot of talk with my parents and uh, peers and friends and, uh, you know, teammates <clears throat> Uh, former teammates as well, like older guys that are, are in the league. I had to talk to a couple guys just about their uh, experience. I talked to some guys who stayed, some guys who, uh, you know, left early as well. And I just wanted to, like, pick everybody's brand and just come up with my own decision. And um, it was tough. It was definitely, uh, you know, a lot of sleepless, sleepless nights. And uh, it was a really hard decision because uh, my college career has been great. Ohio State has been great to me, and uh, I definitely enjoyed it my time in college and uh it was wonderful but sometimes you just feel like the time is right to leave and start a new journey and uh it was definitely one of those things for me how fast does that transition happen like you you make that call you say that's what you're gonna do does all of a sudden like your phone start blowing up and you have to start making all these decisions or is it more of kind of a gradual process uh, i guess it's more of a gradual thing i just wanted to stay focused uh and then when the time came to make the decision and, like, gather information for it. That's what I did. So, like, how close was it to you staying? Like, like, what were some of the things that made you want to stay? Well, the things, um, I guess just coming back and getting another shot, you know, playing in a uh, championship and uh, playing against Michigan State again because, uh, of course, that <laughs> game was the one game that we lost and the one game that – uh Definitely hurts us the most just thinking about it and talking to my teammates about it. But um, I know that we accomplished a lot of things together. Uh, we had a great run for sure, 50 games or 50 wins, I mean, mm -hmm. uh, for the senior class and also uh, the class 2013. Uh, I mean, we're a big part of that too. So we accomplished a lot. Of course, the championship was a big accomplishment. So we had a lot of great memories, and I know that uh, those memories, nobody could take them away. So I enjoyed my time and uh if I could come back of course you know Buckeye Grove uh being a part of that you know Buckeye mm -hmm. Grove thing and getting getting your own tree that would um definitely made me happier uh, of course but um I feel like I've done enough and I feel like my time is right for me to go and chase my dreams so well let's talk about some of those 50 wins I mean let's let's reminisce a little bit because this is you know it, it feels feels weird as a as a fan like you're sending the you know the baby bird off to the NFL and like 
what are some of your favorite memories from your time at Ohio State? It doesn't necessarily have to be even game related, but just like in the years that you spent here, what are some of your favorite memories, your your fondest memories that that you can remember? Uh, I guess just the first home game against Virginia Tech. You know, uh, that game didn't really go the way we wanted it to. It was just amazing to run out on the uh, field and play my first snaps in the shoe. That was probably one of the you know one of the most amazing moments of my football career. And then um, I guess uh, Michigan State last year or two years ago, I guess. Uh, playing at Michigan State, uh, not really feeling 100% healthy-wise and uh, ended up getting thrown back into the game unexpectedly and making a couple plays for my team and then winning that game because that was a game that nobody really thought we could win because the year before that we lost to them in the Big Ten Championship. And it was a game that we really had to prove ourselves and prove to the whole world that we were able to step up and make the plays to win a big game. And uh that game really helped us uh, propel us to a uh, national championship type play. And I feel like after that game, uh, we just played to, to the best of our ability for sure. And, um, and of course, the championship game as, as well. That will definitely be the uh, greatest moment of my life probably. That was just, uh, you know, the pinnacle of everything. So there's a lot of great memories. I could go, I could go on and on about <laughs> all the wins and, you know, the Sugar Bowl definitely ranks up top of there. That, that whole game felt like a movie. Just hmm. every hit <laughs> seemed big. And then going against Bama, nobody expected us to be the SEC school. That was just, like, frowned upon by everybody. And uh, that game was definitely one of my favorite victories, of course, too. It just felt like the championship. And um, it was just an amazing one. So a lot of great memories, for sure. I could go on and on. Well, let's go on and on a little more about that Sugar Bowl. I want, I, I'm really <laughs> interested to know – like what you guys were talking about at halftime of that Alabama game. You guys were behind, but had just scored before the half. Um, I want to know what Urban Meyer said. I want to know what your defensive coaches were saying. What were you guys saying to each other in the locker room? Um, I guess we were pretty hyped because uh, we had we had outgamed them by a lot of yards, but we just couldn't really finish our drives and get in the end zone. And I think we made a couple mistakes defensively as well uh, in that first half, and we knew – like in halftime that we could hang with these guys. Like we were really confident guys like Michael Bennett and the seniors that year were definitely uh, talking a lot and they had a great speech and he was really getting us pumped up. Uh, I couldn't really repeat the things he was, he was saying uh, in the locker room because they're not really PG at all, but he was definitely helping us get hyped and he was really just going out of control. So um, our coaches were very confident too. They were just like, you know, we got to slow things down. Don't turn the ball over. I think we had a couple turnovers in the first half. And uh, defensively, we just had to just, you know, stay within our technique and make sure we just finish plays and different things like that. And I think we did that, obviously, in the second half. You know what? I actually want to, to take a step right back before that because this is another question that I've had uh, for a while, and I'm really glad that I get to ask you about it. Everybody talks about the, the Big Ten Championship game and how many points were scored, but I think equally important was the fact that you guys, like, completely shut down uh, Wisconsin's offense, and that that was incredible in of itself. What was the attitude of the team going into that game, and did you guys really kind of – did you foresee that kind of result coming? Were you that confident where that was kind of a likelihood for you guys? Um, I guess the main thing was just playing a complete game. I, uh, as a team, we felt like we didn't really play a complete game. Coach Meyer always talks about playing nine <clears throat> units strong and uh, having every unit be accountable of their play. 
And uh, going into that game, we wanted to play that game. And uh, we knew Wisconsin was a great team. Uh, of course, they had a great season. That's why they ended up making it to the Big Ten Championship. And uh, we knew it wasn't going to be easy. But we had a great uh, practice leading up to that game. And it was just one of those things where everybody was just really, really focused and ready for that game. And we just played a perfect game, really. And it was uh, everything a coach wanted, everything a player wanted out of their play. So it was amazing, amazing game and amazing win. You know, I want to turn our attention forward a little bit now. I wanted to ask you, you know, you spend a few years at Ohio State trying to become a better football player, and now you've got to go and sort of, you know, be the, you know, prize hanging in the window for everybody to look at and, at the Combine. And I wanted to know sort of, like, what do you need to do and, and how do you get ready for something like that that's not really – it's football-related, but it's not really football? I mean, how do you prepare for that? Well, I'm training out here in uh, San Diego at Exos, and um, the thing they're having us do is just working on speed. So we're doing a lot of speed training. We're um, also doing stuff on the weight room strength-wise, like squats, trying to get our lower body strong enough to really push out of our start. And uh, that's just like the main thing, really working on my speed and all the drills that they are going to have us do at the combine, at the pro agility, the uh, L drill, three-cone drill, whatever. And um, so we're just getting technique stuff down and making sure, like, everything is just fine-tuned for, uh, you know, the combine because that's definitely the most important job interview of my life, and I'm definitely going to have to be ready for it. So they're definitely uh, helping us a lot in every way. So we got massages. We got, uh, you know, film on just little things on our starts, and it's amazing. It's a lot of uh, stuff that goes into it that I didn't know about before. Have they so have they talked to you about like some of the interview portions where they they really kind of dig deep and like ask like I they, I know they ask like really insane questions and in some of these things have they talked to you guys at all about that? Uh yes, we've uh had talks about that a little bit, but uh we haven't really gotten into it uh too much, but we know I know from a, a couple of other guys that I've talked to that uh they definitely like to ask some crazy questions just off the wall type of stuff, so just have to, uh, <laughs> have they given you any say, examples or anything? Uh, yeah, I mean, they're actually anything. Uh, I know they can talk to anybody they want to. Like, they could talk to uh, your eighth grade principal or something like that. Like, they can just talk <laughs> to anybody they want and find out information, and then they can ask you about that stuff. So you just have to make sure that you uh, kind of look back on everything in your life and make sure that you haven't really done anything that's going to surprise people. So just got to be ready. Now, what kind of numbers are you hearing in terms of of your your draft positioning? I know it's it's early, but you must have some kind of a of a preliminary draft grade that you were told uh, to to help you make this decision. Well, one thing I was hearing uh, when I was trying to gather some information was uh, second round. That was a thing that came back from the NFL people, and now I'm kind of hearing different things or. Like, everybody has their own opinion about where you might go. So it's tough to really listen to it. I try not to, but, I mean, it's, it's kind of everywhere. So I'm hearing a first round. I'm seeing different things, like top ten things. I mean, I think I can definitely uh, be a top ten player, but, I mean, everybody has their different opinions. So you just have to work as hard as you can and do uh, great at the combine, do uh, great at your pro day, and just try to, Make sure you come off as a great person, as a great athlete, and a great player as well. So that's what I'm trying to do. 
Well, Eli, again, we really appreciate you coming on. Um, I've got one last question for you. This is something that's also been kind of burning in my head for a little bit. Um, Irv Meyer said to your team that uh, if you guys won a national title, he would get a tattoo. Why? A, why hasn't he not gotten a tattoo yet? B, I can't believe that that makes you really upset. So B, what kind of tattoo do you think he should get in the event that that actually happens? I definitely think he should get like a block old <laughs> tattoo with like bullets going through it. <laughs> give us, uh, a little shout out to the silver bullets because we were a big part of uh, the championship. And um, yeah. I don't know why he didn't get it. Uh, I forget what coach. I think he another coach had promised his team that if they won a game or something, he's gonna get a tattoo. And he actually did it. So I gotta find who that coach was and try to like convince Coach Meyer <laughs> to do it too. Because I don't know if he did that to like be like motivational or whatever. But I think he yeah. Did. Uh, should be a man of his word and carry, uh, come through with it. And um, that's definitely something we've all teased him about, but he hasn't really gave in yet. Yeah, I know. I mean, Tom Herman, I mean, he he put up, he put his money where his that's, mouth is. Yeah, that's what it was. Yeah, Coach Herman. <laughs> all right. You got to well, be more like him. <laughs> uh, we, will, we will try to pass along that word, Eli. Uh, I, I got to tell you something. Again, I really appreciate you coming on. All the best in the NFL draft, man. And again, thank you so much for you know so so many years of Ohio State excellence. We really appreciate it. Thank you. I appreciate you guys. And that was the eleven Dubcast. Thanks again to Eli Apple. Man, that Holy was crap. great. That was. I mean, I could have talked to that guy for another hour. Yes. Yes. I like. And, and you, you know, you don't want to be. You don't want to when you have a interview subject, right? You don't want to be the guy who just keeps them on for an hour yeah. and just like, Hey man, I got it. I try to keep it short and sweet. Uh, we will, we will try to get on some more of these premier marquee guests, yes. uh, uh, in the near future. But what I will say is that it's just a real thrill to be able to have a guy on who is so close to the program as it stands now and can talk about the evolution a little bit. And he was a great guest. Yeah. It was a lot of fun talking to him, and I, I really appreciate it. So that was awesome. Um, thanks again to you guys for listening and writing in. And, Michael, yeah. thanks to you uh, for being such a great co-host tonight. I, I have one last question for you. <laughs> well, uh, uh, thank you for, for being such a, a good guest, you know, good host. And then also – I am a good host. And also for, you know, saving my voice by doing more of the heavy lifting. Yes, you're welcome. Um <laughs> So my last question for you is, and this is something that we touched on briefly that I don't think we talked about enough, but we have a lot of Ohio State football players going to the Super Bowl. Yes. And I'm very excited about it. And even though I'm not, you know, I'm like kind of pulling for Peyton just because I'm a big fan of people who do HGH. Um, <laughs> but no, I mean, I want to see the old guy winning. Although, to be fair, I would also very much enjoy watching – Ted Ginn, uh, you know, have a Super Bowl ring. So I, I'm a little torn on it. But I guess the question that I have for you is, who is your favorite all-time Ohio State NFLer to just, like, watch play? Well, that's probably my, my favorite Ohio State all-time player, Chris Spielman. Um, okay. Even though, you know, he played for the Lions and the Bills, which are two teams that I'm not really a big fan of. Yeah, the divisional rivals, right? Um, yeah, I don't like the Bills at all, but he was kind of toward the end of his career. The, the, you know, I kind of liked the Lions when he was there because just because he was there, and sure. he, well, and yeah. they also had. I mean, you had Barry Sanders. Yeah, yeah. I mean, it was a fun, fun team to watch. Don't get me wrong. He's Spielman was just one of those guys who played every play. Like 
I may never get to play another down of football. So I'm yeah. going to make this play, you know, or die trying. And that's just the way, you know, I mean, he was a true throwback guy. Whereas he's a guy that, you know, they say, you know, these guys these days, they wouldn't play for free. But I think Spielman is one of those guys that actually <laughs> would have played for free. <laughs> yeah. He might no, have actually I, I... paid you to let him play. Right. No, and you know what? I never I don't think I was quite old enough to really appreciate Spielman uh you know when he was playing and it's sad that his career got cut short because of the injuries, but he had a really successful career in the time that he was in the NFL. Yeah. I mean, the guy was in the Pro Bowl and I mean he was he was consistently considered to be one of the best linebackers in the NFL. Mm-hmm. Um it's a little sad that he got cut short, but he definitely I think put in work while he was there. I you know, my personal <laughs> look, I loved watching Ted Ginn uh, do that little nifty play that he did in the AFC champ or the NFC championship, right? Cause that definitely brought back memories uh-huh. of the Alamo bowl and just skirting around the field and doing all that crazy stuff. <laughs> um, I love watching uh, Philly Brown be a productive wide receiver in the NFL. Yeah. That's not something I really particularly would have expected, uh, but it's obviously coming true. And I think that's awesome. But I will not deny that I always get a little thrill as a Bengals fan when Mike Nugent comes out yeah. and kicks, you know, a 30-yard field goal. And he's not an amazing kicker. He's a decent kicker. He's okay, right? Like, he's definitely a C-plus kicker in the NFL. Yeah, solid. But, yeah, but just the fact that Mike Nugent is out there kicking field goals is, for the team that I root for, is just really hilarious, especially since, you know, 2004. I, I wrote about, One of the first things I wrote about for 11 Warriors was how – Mike Nugent basically saved the 2004 team. Like, the first four games, if he's not Mike Nugent, if he's not the dude kicking all those field goals, they don't win those four games. And I just have great memories of just watching that dude just blast 55-yard field goals without even thinking about it in the highest stadium. Yeah. And he had a he had a really incredible, I think it was a 52- or a 53-yard field goal in really rough conditions. The NC State later game? On. Say again? The NC State game you're talking about? No, I'm talking about this season. Oh, for the okay, this year. Okay. It was just it was just a really rough field goal, and and he he nailed it, and I was like, that's that's my nuge, and it's it, it's fun every time. Like <laughs> again, it, is he a great kicker? No, but it's still really really fun to watch, and yeah, that'll never get old for me. And I, so and I gotta say, I liked Orlando Pace quite a bit too. Oh yeah, Orlando Pace, you know, Hall of Famer, one of the greatest offensive linemen of all time. I mean, that dude was incredible. Yeah. So, yeah, there you go. And I'm, I'm looking forward to the Super Bowl and, and seeing how it all shakes out. I mean, you know, I do want to see, like, the ghost of Peyton Manning win a, win a Super Bowl after throwing, like, seven for 35, right, <laughs> for, like, 125 yards and no picks. Yeah. I would love to see them win a Super Bowl by doing that. Um, but, you know, yeah, we'll see. I, what's really- I won't be crying too much if Philly and uh, Ted Ginn get a ring. Yeah, it's 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 great uh, because either way, you know, a Buckeye gets a, a championship. And uh, what's yeah. what's really funny because you mentioned Roby, I mean, we didn't talk about Roby. Roby yeah. on the other side, yep. he's having a great season. Exactly. He's an excellent corner in the NFL. He had a game saving play uh, against Absolutely. New England. And you know, you talked about Philly Brown, or you didn't expect him to have a successful NFL career. How about Nate Ebner for the Super Bowl ring? <laughs> right. Yeah. Exactly. <laughs> exactly. You know, sometimes things just work out. And Ohio State fans' favor. Yeah. I mean, sometimes the universe just smiles on us, and that's nice. I enjoy that. So that's a little bit of reminiscing. We'll talk a little bit more about uh, the upcoming uh, big-time games, and, or game, I guess, uh, in future weeks, and we'll, we'll try to kick it up a notch here as we, we lumber towards 
signing day and the NFL combine and all that good stuff. So until then, I'm Johnny Ginner. I'm Michael Citro. We'll see you guys next week. Peace.